0: You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show that explores how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. In each episode, we'll take you on a tour of the city to discover how the gospel speaks into both the unique opportunities and challenges Christians face in an urban context. This is a show from Chicago and for Chicago. So let's get to work.
1: Welcome back to Chicago's Gospel Podcast. I'm Eric Veker.
2: And I'm Will Pereja.
1: And today on the show, I'm going to give Brother Will the opportunity to uh, introduce our guest, but it's a a guy whose zeal and energy I think will help us take it to the next level. Who do we have on today, Will?
2: Boy, the the whole auditorium here and studio is just buzzing with his energy (laughs) as it does anywhere he goes. So let me preface this introduction by saying that the story you are about to hear is not your average coming-to-faith story. Parents, you may need to exercise some discernment if your children are listening to this. The contents of this story include death and resurrection of one of our lifelong neighbors here in Chicago. And also, especially if you're a Christian, and especially if you're young, you do not have to have this kind of story that you're about to hear to make an impact for Jesus Christ, but we want to highlight God's work in one particular Chicagoan, and his name is Juan Riesco. Juan, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, Brother Will.
2: Yeah. And I want to read a passage of scripture because on Chicago's Gospel Podcast, we talk about how the unchanging gospel on. of Jesus Christ... Um, is for the ever-changing city. Come on. And one of the the <laughs> kind of key texts uh, of many is, is 1 Corinthians 15, mm. verses 3 and following. Oh, and, come on. Uh, this is kind of like the low-hanging fruit definition of the gospel. But right. But the, there's a phrase in here that sets the table for us today. Come on. Um, it sets the table for this episode, and it will lead us into the part two that we have Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, Mm. he appeared also to me. And he goes on. And as I was thinking about this, we could almost all say that our coming to faith is is a story of an untimely birth. And uh, friends and listeners of Chicago's Gospel Podcast, we... Uh, introduce you to Juan Riesco. He can say his name a whole lot better, um, but this is a this is an interesting story that we want to feature. That we just we just want you to know who this guy is. Um, he's not running for mayor. He's a young he adult. Yeah, he does. He probably should. So we don't want to do most of the talking. We're going to let this guy do the talking, brother Juan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a Latino last name. So where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? Yeah,
3: my whole life people have said that to me. Actually, where are you from? And I'm always (laughs) like, "Uh, my mother's womb. (laughs) Just because my dad is born in Cuba, uh, but my uh, grandma was born in Lebanon. My mom's side is Mexican. And when you put all that together, you get a culturally ambiguous dude Basically, whatever business I walk into, people speak to me in that language, just assuming that <laughs> they, I'm from there. If I'm at an Italian restaurant, I'm getting some sort of Italiano. If I'm oh, in no a yeah, Middle Eastern place, so yeah, they're, funny. I'm speaking. They're speaking Arabic to me. Uh, but uh, no, I was born and raised here in Chicago. I'm I'm 31 years old. My parents met um, actually not too far from where you live, Pastor Eric, um, by Grand and Ashland, um, in the 80s. No, I'm sorry, they met in the 70s. And, uh, been, was in that community for many years by Grandin Ashland, um, for a lot of my young adult life. And then was also in the like Rogers Park community. Um, but I met Jesus in that neighborhood, Grandin Ashland, um, when my older brother who was a Latin King at the time got saved, Mm. uh, preached the gospel to me. And at that point in my life, I was a a homosexual, drug abusing, um, graffiti tagger, shoplifter, uh, Mm. just mess. I mean, um, and, and the gospel met me and encountered me, and, and I was never the same after that. So.
1: And it met you through who?
3: The preaching uh, of my, my older brother, yeah. who was a Latin king here in the city. Yeah. He went to Amundsen High School, um, got became born again through the gospel by God's grace, and he preached to me. and.
1: For those who... Might think that that's actually a royal position. What is it? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, Latin what is King? A Latin oh, king? yeah. Okay.
3: So Latin, <laughs> Latin Kings are uh, at one point a really prolific uh, gang here in the city. I mean, gang, the the gang culture has changed a lot in Chicago, but there was a point in time where that was a, a big name in, mm. in in gang banging here in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother was a Latin King. Uh, my father probably was, and at least hung out with them at some point too. Mm. Um, and yeah, he, my brother my brother went from a gang banger to a street preacher. Come on. And then he uh, preached to me, his, his homosexual, drug, drug-loving brother.
2: Well, we're going to get and, to that. So yeah. you have an older brother. Yeah. Do you have a sister?
3: Yeah, I have a, a middle sister, and then I'm the youngest.
2: Okay, yeah. so there's three of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is your Good.
3: sister in Chicago? Uh, she's not, no. She's, uh, we're praying for her. She's the only person in our family who hasn't yet come to faith, so. Okay. We believe the Lord's going to get a hold of her.
2: So, you grew up over in what, was, what is it, Ukrainian yeah, village, so Westtown? I
3: grew up in two neighborhoods. So, I, uh, a lot of my upbringing was on uh, Damon near Foster. Okay. Um, that's where my parents owned a home. Uh, right. But that whole time, um, my parents owned a business by Grand and Ashland, uh, Westtown. So, I'd really go back and forth and was in Westtown from the 90s and also in like the kind of Rogers Park, mm-hmm. Andersonville area from the 90s, also.
2: Yeah. 90s onward. So you grew up you had you grew up pretty normally at what point did things get kind of go sideways for you like you're coming to yeah. a conscientiousness of your sinfulness Yeah
3: so I had been exposed to uh I think pornography at a super young age which I think really like got my brain moving and then watching my brother being a game banger while I was in grade school I then started to kind of think about nightlife and street life and things mm. like that um and then my brother But I always had like an artistic, I think, edge to me to some degree. And then my brother was a game banger, but he also did graffiti. And so that was kind of like the perfect middle ground of like nightlife, but also like some creativity for me. Hmm. And so graffiti was really exposed me to like street culture. And uh, that was probably like in uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I think by the time I was in a freshman or sophomore is when I was arrested for my first time. Um, And then that really just
2: doing street art.
3: Yeah, doing what people call street art. I just call it vandalism <laughs> at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how our culture has like glorified vandalism and now we call it street art. But yeah, yeah. But yeah so um I would say like probably 6th, 7th, 8th and then high school is when things got really bad and I And you go to high school where? I went I went bro, I went to high school right down the street from me. Actually, oh. what I was thinking I went to Lane Tech High School. What I was thinking actually, I was telling brother Eric is I'm pretty sure I have smoked weed on Hamilton Street. <laughs> like cutting lunch period or something and c- and came down the street of your school. Wow, so.
2: we're honored.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm just thinking like I, that. that's the relationship I have with this community. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> yeah. Cut Cut lunch and smoked weed somewhere on these streets.
2: So. <laughs> huh. so you're a Lane Tech grad. That's right. Did you go to college after that?
3: Uh, I went to school many, many different times. Yeah. Um, the, the the Right after Lane Tech, I actually got a like a 75% ride to DePaul because I had to was asked to write a paper on some different community service hours, things that I had done. And I had had over 300 community service hours because I had been arrested so many times in high school and the judge would give me community service hours as my uh, restitution or whatever it's called. And so yeah, I approached this, the biggest scholarship that DePaul offered and I had 300 community service hours, and they were like, "This dude's awesome." Yeah, but wow, they didn't know like, why a I had so many. Yes, exactly. yeah. Our, our
2: <laughs> listeners are hearing crime pays. Yes, yeah, basically. <laughs> so we're not glorifying. No, the
3: no, crime, no, man. no. That, that that was God's providence. He used my wickedness to even do some good in my life. And mm. uh, but I had I then um, in college at DePaul um, became s- way more invested in in homosexuality and in mm. in criminality. Honestly. Uh, that I couldn't even handle being in school, and I ended up leaving.
2: But you wouldn't say the two necessarily go together. I mean, there are homosexuals who are not criminals. Correct. Yeah, uh, that and- was
3: just the world that I was in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think that every gay person is violent or anything like that, but that's where I was at. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: And how did that— how did that progress? How did that get dark? Did it get darker? Did it, does it go that way? Yeah, it it
3: absolutely got darker. So I just remember, um, I remember the first time where I had like my first HIV scare, I had slept with a man and I had probably, I don't think I even knew, I don't even think I actually really knew him by any means. Like we had met somewhere online and hooked Mm -hmm. up and, um, that was our first encounter. And a few days later he messaged me and says, hey man, I think you should go to the clinic because I just tested positive for HIV. And I remember like, oh, wow. it was like my life flashed before my eyes. I was like 21 years old, 22 years old in school and really was like, man, the, the lifestyle I'm leading, li- living literally leads to death. And I just, at that point was willing to accept like, well, I enjoy having sex so much. I enjoy sleeping around, being promiscuous so much where, yeah, I guess it's worth it. And like, I, did, I remember it, like as fast as my life flings, Black flash before my eyes I was not willing to lay it down because I was so addicted to just the affirmation the what I thought was love the what I thought was comfort of other men and, and things like that and uh
1: it's really perceptive to be able to notice that it was that quickly
3: yep it was moments I was like oh well yeah it just comes with territory so I'm just gonna mm. move on
2: so uh,
1: definitely most Latino
2: families yeah which you say I know you say you're kind of a hodgepodge and a mix but are, have some kind of religious yeah. background. Would, was yours a, a religious home, like yeah. church going and catechesis so and we all that? We were
3: absolutely religious, but not like biblically religious. So my father coming from um, Cuba and my, my grandmother being from Lebanon before she immigrated to Cuba, um, he thought he was like in tune with his cultural roots and he was actually a Muslim. And so my whole upbringing, my father, I was technically raised in a Muslim household because of my father's religious positions uh, or religious convictions. And so he was a practicing Muslim. My mom, however, I'd like to say he was a lukewarm Muslim because he married my mother, who was Roman Catholic at the time. Um, My mom would probably self-identify as Roman Catholic and put us in Catholic school. Um, But uh, she practiced like Mexican witchcraft. Yeah. Um. And she would do, you know, I wouldn't say like rituals or anything like that, but she would have definitely there was practices of witchcraft in our home that I was basically familiar with growing up. So the the religious dynamic of my household, there was some some Muslim things and there was some witchcraft and Roman Catholic things.
2: And if I was I was watching um, a video, the yeah. documentary on and by the way, for all of our listeners, um, our podcast will not do justice to. Juan's story. So if you'd like to see um, a documentary, not just about his life, but uh, some of the other parts of his story, very fascinating. We will link it in the show notes so that uh, you could uh, watch that um, apart from listening to this Um So was it your grandfather or was it your father who was like a Cuban revolutionary?
3: Yeah, so my grandfather was a uh, slave to the Communist Party. He was actually standing against the Communist Revolution in Cuba uh, that was taking over Mm. the island, which is a, a big reason. It plays a big part of my story personally now, just because I stand against the sin of communism so much here in America. Um, And I feel like my grandfather kind of instilled that in me. But also the Bible really is what ultimately instills that in me. But Mm. my grandfather um, stood against the communist revolution in Cuba. And uh, what that looked like for him and his peers was um, when the communists vowed to remove all the firearms that were owned by the public, my grandfather and his peers um, got together and they all put their firearms in my grandfather's home. So the home that my dad lived in. Um, And then ultimately someone from their community ratted ratted on them Mm. and uh, the communists came banging on my father's door. And my grandfather was imprisoned and obviously all the the firearms were confiscated. And my grandfather was a slave uh, to the communist government in the jails of Cuba for about five years. Um, Wow. And then he was...
2: This is probably when Fidel was at like his his peak, right? Yes, it
3: was in the '60s. Yeah. So, my I'm sorry, my fa- my grandfather was imprisoned for five, and he was a slave on their sugarcane fields for like two and a half, and that's when they shipped him to America. So, oh, wow. that's kind of like the I don't know. I guess
2: you have communist inf- background. Yeah, you have Muslim background. Yeah. Catholic background. Yeah, and yeah. So you you are ripe in a sense. For Satan's picking. Oh, absolutely. As a young person, yeah, coming I, uh, of age.
3: Yes, yeah. My my like uh, the axiom or my worldview or my epistemology, however you want to put it, like it was so confused. Like, I really didn't know truth. I didn't know that truth even existed. I thought you know my cultural upbringing was was th- I guess I thought that was the truth. You know, like what I've experienced, um, and I really had no foundation to my to my like worldview or anything, mm-hmm. and I was really I would go. If I felt gay, I was gay. If I felt like I wanted to be um and I don't know, I just was really go with the flow, I feel like. Hmm. And it really ultimately was just I was lost.
1: So when your brother eventually shares the gospel with yeah. you, what do you remember about either that moment yeah. or that phase of life where it, yeah. what what aspects of the gospel clicked for you just all that
2: yeah. quick follow um yeah. before cuz I so there's DePaul and Did you go to San, you went to San Francisco? Yeah, so after I
3: dropped out of DePaul, so I was only at DePaul for one year. uh, Dropped out because of just nightlife was just, I just couldn't handle the the being independent like that. Um, And then my parents are like, what are you doing with your life? Like you got a 75% ride to DePaul. You can't even make it to a class. You have basically straight Fs. I think I had like a C in one photography class. And they were like, what is going on? And I just made up this lie. I said that, Oh, the reason I'm like this is because I truly want to be an artist, and I'm not studying art at the park because they don't have a good art program, so I need to move to San Francisco. I just was making up lies. Mm. The truth was is that I wanted to pursue, one, graffiti, because San Francisco is known for being extremely lawless, and then, two, homosexuality, because I wanted to escape from my family's covering mm. and be able to explore you know, sex
2: mm-hmm.
3: even more freely. So um, yeah, I packed up all my bags and and moved to San Francisco, really without my parents' blessing, but was just like I'm just gonna make it happen. And
2: this is about 2012.
3: Uh, this was 2012, exact 2011, yeah. 2012. Yep, okay, exactly. Yep.
2: And now enters your brother while you're in San Francisco. Correct. So my
3: brother, well, no, my brother got saved um, the summer of 2013 when I moved home. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was out there. I was out there. I must have. I must have got out there. I'm sorry. You, you're right. Uh, the probably beginning okay i got out there the beginning of 2012 and then moved home by march of 2013 so wow. i was there for like about a, a little bit over a year
2: so he gets saved yes You're, and you come back
3: i we didn't even know what that meant there was nobody in my yeah. household that knew what it meant to be saved right. that didn't even make sense like right. that term yeah. never heard of it before my brother's saved now like if someone would have said that we didn't understand actually my mom and dad thought he got brainwashed but what we noticed was that what they noticed was that even if he's brainwashed, he's still better than what he used to be as a gangbanger. banger. <laughs> so whatever type of brainwashing that just happened, like they yeah. were okay with it because <laughs> sure. he was no longer gangbanging. banging.
2: Wow. So he's a new convert himself. Correct. And he's just telling you like, "Hey, I found bread."
3: Correct. I'm yeah. a
2: beggar. I found bread. That's you exactly got to right. taste this stuff. My
3: older brother was fresh out of being saved. And and what the way I like to say it is The Lord impressed on his heart uh, the desire to evangelize the hardest people group on planet Earth, his family. Mm. He had a heart for his family. And my older brother, by God's grace, because as we all know, sometimes the hardest people to minister to are those in our own home, you know. My brother did not let that stop him. He preached to every one of my aunts and uncles and cousins and Everybody at family parties and everything. He's like, you need Jesus. There's no other That's way. Powerful. Everything we're doing is useless without Christ. And you know, you know, I have gay people in my family. I have, um, you know, Roman Catholics in my family, atheists, every every walk of life. And my brother just his heart broke for all of us, mm-hmm. and he knew that he needed to share the message of Christ with all of us. And I was. I was one of those people.
1: So, what do you recall about that? I remember that the
3: thing that that really rattled me the most about the gospel is that my brother kept explaining to me how I was not a good person. Mm. And I I couldn't I couldn't grasp that because yeah. no matter how much I shoplifted, I would always give things back to homeless people or or people who I thought needed it. Like I I I would literally go to let's say the J Crew store and I would walk out of J Crew with three pairs of pants, you know, seven button-ups, um and handfuls of designer socks, a pair of Ray-Bans and like, you know, probably $2,000 at least worth of merch, you know? And I'm walking down North Avenue by Sheffield, right by the Whole Foods over there. And, oh, there's a homeless guy. Oh, let me give him one of my button-ups. And I really felt virtuous. Like, I felt like I was ethically correct for shoplifting and then giving to a homeless guy. And, yeah, I looked fresh, but at Mm. least I'm blessing other people, you know? That's, like, what I would really say to myself. That you
2: were justifying your Totally
3: justifying it. And I remember my older brother was, like, and he had done that with me at some points. And I remember him saying, like, dude, you are not okay. Hmm. you are not good. Like, you are going to hell for what you've done. And I could not believe that. I refused to believe it. I said, if there's a God, then he has to see that I'm doing good. When I, even if I do something bad, I'm doing good to make up for it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving what I have now to other people. And I was so not okay with this message that was confronting me and my sin telling me like, that I was pitiful. So what
1: caused the first crack in that foundation?
3: Well, really what caused it was a fear of God that got instilled in me by my parents. And they weren't even Christians. Because they told me once they, at that point is when my brother told my parents, like, my brother is gay. And they were like, no, nah, there's no way. And they were, my brother's like, no, he is absolutely gay. He's probably sleeping with men in your house type stuff. You know, like, he's a gay dude. Hmm. And my parents were like, at that point, they were like, well, if you're going to live in our house... You have to go to church with your brother because we don't know what really happened to him, but he's <laughs> wow. like different. go to that
2: brainwashing facility. Yeah, and they were
3: like, "You should go there." <laughs> that was your rent. Yeah, that was my rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I went, dude. I went, and I heard the message preached time after time again, and my heart was stone. Nothing was piercing it. I remember, like, there would be some sermons that were super emotional, and I'd be like, "Why are people?" crying. This is so <laughs> weird. Why would it God make them cry? I don't understand. Hmm. Um, because there was powerful sermons that were moving people to tears, and um, and I just couldn't get it. And that was in uh, June, as when I first started going. My parents said, hey, we're going to kick you out unless you go to your brother's church. Um, and then by September, um, I heard a gospel.
2: 2013.
3: The same year, 2013. I hear the gospel again, like I had every Sunday. It was my only requirement to live in that house, basically work for my parents' business and go to church and uh, i heard the message and and i said god if you're real i, I would i would appreciate it if you would just reveal yourself to mm. me and i didn't have a vision of jesus he didn't speak from the clouds but i just felt a burden on my heart for my own wickedness and my own sin and um
2: so in the fall of 2013 you came to faith so god gave you god gave you salvation and a yeah. new life praise you, the lord and you were baptized and the church. Um, what's the name of the church again? My
3: church is called Metro Praise International.
2: Of which you're still a member of that That's church. correct.
3: Ten years later. Um, so you had mentioned the
2: family business. Yeah. This, this really is a, a fascinating, not, not just for your story, but this plays into just the, the ruggedness of being in Chicago, just a, yeah. a sh- true Chicagoan. You have a family business, yep. um, and it was, it was a grocery store That's at right. one time. Yep. How many years
3: is this in the family the, the, so this business particular that we're speaking about has has been in our family for ten years, but the business that came before that had been in my family for twenty years. That right. was kind of like the precursor yes. to where we were at. So Same like, spot. Right across the street.
2: Oh okay okay. Yeah,
3: right across the street.
2: So it's called Nini. So the the, the thing you come in to really bring your skills is yes. this restaurant called Nini's. Tell yes. us a little bit about the story. Yeah so.
3: So my mom and dad, like I said, met in that neighborhood on Ohio and Noble. Uh, They met there in the 60s or 70s or something like that. 70s, I believe. Um, And since my dad is Cuban mostly and my mom is Mexican, when they created the restaurant, they infused both the cultures. So there was Cuban stuff, there was Mm -hmm. Mexican stuff, Mm -hmm. kind of just blended together. And it made us unique. It made us stand out. And um, when, when I got saved, I really sensed the Lord want me to work there, like serve here with your family's business. So I did. And by God's grace, over the seven years that I had worked there, we went from a no-name business that nobody knew to become. We became rated the highest-rated restaurant on Yelp in the whole city of Chicago for three years in a row, 2017, 2018, and 20. No, about
2: no. how much square footage is this? What was the space? All our
3: space is like 800, small, right? 900 square feet. Yeah, it's a small space. <laughs> wow. But God used it. God used it. We touched by God's grace. We were able to impact so many people. Two of the young men that I met there that got to, that I got to minister to while we were in business are still saved by i mean they're saved by god's grace and they're still serving in our church to this day both of them had never heard the gospel uh presented plainly and by god's grace i was able to preach to them because they
2: walked into nini's for a meal
3: they walked in for an empanada and and they left with salvation shortly later so Amen. god really used that place
2: and, and and so wow i i've heard so much about it but so 2020 comes along yes um and everyone knows what 2020 is for yeah. <laughs> the whole world and so it was COVID, mm-hmm. but it was also May yep. with the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. Yep. And what what's going on now in the neighborhood and how does that impact?
3: Yeah, well, because we had been so successful by God's grace, a lot of people were assuming that we would be a big voice for the Black Lives Matter movement. Because a lot of businesses in the community, especially ones that had a pretty large platform, which by God's grace we did, they were really making a stance against uh, the injustice, which I believe George Floyd was killed. I mean, it, the video is horrific. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the thing was is that we were asked to not just stand behind the injustice of George Floyd being killed, but we were asked to partner with the Black Lives Matter movement. And as Christians, uh, we just couldn't partner with something that came so diabolically against mm-hmm. our Christians' beliefs. Um, so we believe Black Lives Matter, but we don't believe – That we should support uh, trans black lives, for example. We Mm -hmm. believe black lives matter, but we don't believe we should support black women who want to abort their babies or black moms and dads that want to abort their babies. And if you go to the Black Lives Matter websites, these things were parallel with their cause uh, Mm -hmm. to fight for what they consider, you know, black life. And so we knew as Christians, absolutely, we believe black lives matter, but we could not believe in this organization that was using this word and pairing these ungodly beliefs alongside of it. And so we had made that statement like, hey, we believe black lives matter. We actually believe all lives matter because all lives are made in God's image. And we actually believe that this is a biblical position and not a geopolitical or you know social mm-hmm. movement. And uh, when we said that, um, people were extremely upset to the point where they, the next day after we made that statement, after we were being pressured to donate to BLM, uh, they came and protested our business. And we had said, hey, we're just going to be honest with you guys. If you guys are going to come protest our business, we're going to preach the gospel. Hmm. And so they came out about 100 deep the first day. And by God's grace, we got an opportunity to bring our speaker and to minister the gospel to those protesters. And within one minute of us sharing the good news with those protesters, a young man named David repented for his sins and came to Christ. Hmm. And since that moment, we've had multiple people reach out to us and say, we appreciate you so much. For what you did that day in front of Ninis, because now I serve Jesus.
2: Praise the Lord. And but, so but that this testimony
3: not... took a year, 18 months, sometimes some of them two years to two. come to fruition. But we stood, we just trusted the Lord and, and we'd have seen souls come to Christ. Praise then. God.
2: But that that particular day and string of days yeah. was no Nineveh. That's right. Of it Nineveh. was
3: no Nineveh by any means. No, no, So no. what happened? Well, what happened was is the first, like I said, the first day when we preached there was about 100 people protesting. They were spitting on us. They were pushing us. They were lighting things on fire, throwing it at us. Uh, they were promising us that we would never be able to live in Chicago ever again because they would make sure that we weren't. Be, they wouldn't be alive. I had over 100 death threats. I had thousands of comments on social media saying that my life was going to end. Uh, my bank account was hacked into. My location, like my actual location on my phone was being tracked to the point where wherever I would leave, I would get messages from numbers that I didn't know that said, we know you're in Georgia and we know you're going to Florida. We'll see you soon. <laughs> like they, I was actively That's being scary. tracked. Um I was promised that the baby that was gr- in my wife's womb at the time, my wife was pregnant, I was promised that that baby would be killed. Um And these were all by people that were under the mantra Black Lives Matter. Hmm. I don't know if they were... Black Lives Matter official, getting paid by them, but on their social media pages, that's what they were representing.
2: Wow. So this this boils over, and what do you guys do, just stay camped out?
3: So after the <laughs> first day where there was 100 people protesting, we did retreat to a friend's house, and um, the messages, my phone was just like a mess, just blowing up, one-star reviews, n- people saying they're gonna kill me, phone calls coming in. Um, You know, all of our family members are blowing us up, saying that they're getting messages. And we were just like, okay, let's just shut off all phones and let's just leave Chicago because this is getting so dangerous. At that point, we packed up literally whatever we had, which was like a bag of groceries because I had this eight-month-old baby who needed formula. Mm -hmm. And I had like a half a gallon of water, some baby formula, like some bananas, some chew toys. Not chew toys, but, you know, the toys that babies gnaw on Mm -hmm. when they're teething and stuff. And uh, just like a small bag of clothes. And we hit the road. We just prayed and asked the Holy Spirit where we should go. And we just started driving south. We didn't know where we were going. But it was getting so crazy for us. They were continuing to try to burn down our business. They were nonstop blowing up our family. They said, tomorrow we're going to be at your house. Um, and so we just left. Um, the second day, there was thousands. They organized the whole BLM protest and the whole city to be in front of our restaurant. There was thousands from literally from Chicago Avenue to Grand Avenue on Noble Street just chanting. You know, obscenities. So I'm I'm assuming
2: the police are present, needing to be there. Yeah,
3: there was a police barricade around my building. I'm
2: assuming not much business is happening on that. We had
3: boarded up the doors and we had fled Chicago at that point. Wow. Yeah. We had boarded up the doors and we had fled Chicago.
1: There's probably so much more to the story that I'm sure people can dig into. And I, I hate to shut it down. But if you could... Close this episode with yeah. some aspect of the gospel mm. that you feel like came home in a new way yeah. in that in that phase of life. What would that be? Yeah,
3: the, the gospel of Matthew says that whoever leaves field, friend, or family for me and my my name will receive a hundred times more. Mm. And then I believe in Luke, the the only caveat difference is that Luke says plus you'll receive a hundred times more, and then he says, Luke says hundred times more persecution. And so I just want to encourage whoever hears this that, you know, you may have to lose friends, family, or field for the gospel. But the Bible promises us 100 times more and e- eternal salvation with Christ if you do so. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, thanks for being on this uh, first episode with us, brother. Yeah, And right. uh, we look forward to chatting some more. Yes. But w- what's the best place for someone to go to to find out more about your story? Is it the YouTube video? Is yeah. that probably the best? Yeah,
3: so if you go to YouTube, um, the documentary is called Paint the Wall Black. Uh, it's free on YouTube um, and it's full full length story if you want to learn more.
0: Thanks for joining the conversation on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. If you're benefiting from these conversations, consider sharing this podcast episode with a friend or neighbor. We would also love to hear about topics you want to discuss. So reach out to us with your ideas at gospel at Until next time. Remember that Christ's unchanging gospel is transforming your life in an ever-changing city.